after the curse. Fascinating. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, Caladans, and things to episode 73 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman, and we're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve? That's the Muppets and Star Trek. We've been doing one-to-one reviews of the Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And tonight we're covering the Muppet Show with special guest star Cheryl Ladd and Star Trek original series episode, That Which Survives. And uh, Steve, who is this Cheryl Ladd person anyways? Well, Cheryl Ladd, she's an American actress and singer, but most people know her for being one of the original Charlie's Angels. What does our audience know her from in our generation? Well, if you like made-for-TV Hallmark holiday films, you know her because that's pretty much all she does now. (laughs) But most likely, you know her as one of Charlie's Angels. And apparently, she took over for Farrah Fawcett. So not the original Charlie's Angels, but she took over for Farrah Fawcett when Farrah Fawcett left, apparently. Um, But what's she up to this week on The Muppet Show? Well, backstage, there's no real overarching plot. The closest thing is that there's a bust of Beethoven who's doing the equivalent of live tweeting the show (laughs) and kind of has a running commentary on how things aren't going that well. Uh, There is a moment where Piggy visits Cheryl's dressing room. Cheryl admits she's a huge fan specifically of her karate chops, and they practice their karate. Uh, uh, Piggy physically assaults her her employer kermit and they wreck the dressing room all while singing i love being a girl but that's the closest thing to a backstage plot we get on stage this week piggy starts in a tropical paradise link hogthrob struggles to swing on a vine they sing true love before being joined by an assortment of jungle creatures cheryl hits the stage for the south rampart street parade she shows off her dancing chops a little bit before being joined by some floppied full body monsters in a dixieland bound band outfit and one giant green and blue monster next we visit the swine trek where julia strange pork has invented invisibility pills they use the opportunity to mess with miss piggy piggy takes her own pill and invisibly karate chops the crap out of both of them mm-hmm Kermit is forced on stage by a gaggle of chickens. He introduces Gonzo the Great, who performs a hypnotism act, wherein he hypnotizes himself to convince himself to lift 5,000 pounds. He then snaps out of it and is crushed by the weight like like an accordion. (laughs) It's a great Looney Tunes-esque gag. Very much so. Cheryl hits the stage one last time. It is in a lovely meadow with trees. She performs sunshine on my shoulders, joined by some charming woodland creatures and eventually an assortment of Muppets. Kermit thanks Cheryl. Gonzo is flattened like a pancake still. And that is what we call the Muppet show. So German, what did you think of this week's episode with Cheryl led? Um, it was kind of like a flashback to a very straightforward episode of, of the show. Um, the, 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 the host Cheryl Ladd was actually very talented. She was fun to watch. I thought she was great with the Muppets. Uh, not a whole lot with her. Like, like you said, I think only two main numbers with her, I believe. Uh, but a lot of the great classic segments uh, that we had. And my favorite was probably Cheryl Ladd and Piggy beating up the dummies to I love being a girl. Because yeah, the dummies. Yeah. That was a good backstage number. And you yeah. Know, I'm a sucker for, for backstage numbers. Exactly. And it's a good musical number that I've known from. I forgot what show it's from, but it's a classic musical number. Um, Don't worry. I'll get to it on music. You will. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, so here's the best part. You're not going to remember the show. Oh, no. <laughs> I can tell you right now. 
I had to it look was, at him and go, what? It was in a movie at some point, too. So maybe it was in an original mu- in a musical, and then it was in a movie later on. But anyways, uh, yeah, just it's like a regular kind of middle of the road, but, but good quality Muppet Show episode, in my opinion. I agree. This feels more like a season one or season two. Right. Exactly. Episode where they had stronger confines. This might be a situation where they had very limited time with her. We've seen guests like that where that's obviously the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like that she got to show off her chops. She wasn't just in sexy outfits. She wasn't nonstop yeah. the way that a lot of other, we'll say, sexual icon female guests have been. They showed off her singing skills instead or dancing skills. Like she has like a lot of other things to show off besides her Charlie's Angels, you know, boobs. <laughs> um, but I agree. Besides the swine trick, we didn't really get any of the standards. And maybe that was missing a little bit. And I feel like that as we progress further into the Muppet show is what I'm missing more and more mm. as they take on bigger themes and more encompassing on stage backstage stuff. I'm finding I'm missing the standards. Yeah, but not that the house is talking to each other. <laughs> No, but like, but you know, like we've only seen maybe a handful of Swedish chefs kitchens this season. Mm-hmm. We've seen a handful of veterinarians hospitals. I think at the dance is dead at the dance. We haven't seen since I think mid season two. I think it's dead. Yeah, it's gone. Um, So good episode. Not great. Definitely not a top. I can tell you right, right now. Not a top, uh, but not a bottom either. Yeah, it was, it was fine. It was enjoyable. It was entertaining. Some music this week, True Love. This is by Cole Porter, and it was nominated for the Oscar for Best Original Song for the 1956 film High Society. Hmm. South Rampart Street Parade. It was first recorded by big band Bob Crosby, who is the younger brother of the more famous Bing Crosby. And most of Bob Crosby's records were destroyed in the great uh, studio fire that happened back in the 50s or 60s. So you you can't find a lot of actually Bob Crosby's records anywhere. They don't exist anymore. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the UK spot, which I didn't mention because it wasn't in the episode we watched, but this is a song I really remember from the Muppets, so I would be remiss not to talk about it. It was right after Pigs in Space. features Scooter calling, singing There's a New Sound, and it's about worms, as odd as it sounds. Well, it was by this guy named Tony Borello and Tom Murray. It was a novelty song from the early 50s, and they basically wrote it because they'd written a bunch of serious stuff, but the only stuff being played on the radio was this insane crap. And they're like, we'll show them. We'll write this crazy song. I bet you they'll play it. And they did. And it ended up being their biggest hit. <laughs> and this is the UK spot that was not on Disney Plus. So It was not on Disney yeah. Plus, but I remember this song. I used to have it on a, a cassette tape. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> growing up. So when I saw it, I was like, I have to talk about it. I have to at least mention it. That's so funny. Um, I love being a girl from Rodgers and Hammerstein. Right. Their their musical flower drum song. Yes. Okay. I do know that. I do know that musical. I do. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's about a Chinese family in the turn of the century, San Francisco, struggling with adapting and assimilating to their new life in America. And a weird uh, side note here. I had to be in a play recently where I had to sing a version of that song with totally different lyrics. Oh, I've got a brand new hairdo. And I had to sing it all but differently as a gay man in this play that I was in last year. It was very strange <laughs> nice. during the pandemic. An odd time. <laughs> uh, Sunshine on My Shoulders. It was co-written by John Denver, and he yeah. is actually the first guest of season four, which we'll review next time. I thought that was so weird. He's saying that song, and then it's going to be he's the guest next episode. It's really weird. So, Jarman, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week? Uh, there was a lot of crazy stuff. Like you said, it was kind of a tamped down episode, but I think... If I have to go with just the, you know, uh, impressiveness, the South Rampart Street Parade number where just a bunch of, you know, the human Muppets dancing around. And yeah, doing... I did love the floppy Muppets in the back and they're using that black screen trick. Right. You can tell they're wearing black, black velvet. Thing. Exactly. And so I think that was pretty impressive. 
Uh, I've got to give it to the opening number, Link Hogthrob on that vine. Oh, yeah, that's true. Clearly, a Muppet performer is like sprinting underneath this vine. Oh, my God, you're right. And then swinging back and sprinting back. Um, (laughs) That was just impressive to think of somebody like, (laughs) oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, make it look real. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, now that brings us to a very special time. We've just finished season three of The Muppet Show. Yes. So, German and I, we're going to recap our top three and bottom three of all of the episodes so far. We're going to talk about our top and bottom from this season, and then we're going to see if anything from this season joins the best or worst of The Muppet Show overall. Right. And I'd love to start with the bottom of the season, if that's cool with you, Steve. Yeah, let's do it. So what's your first bottom episode of this season? Okay. I think we are both going to agree on this. <laughs> okay. Because I cannot think of another episode we have torn apart more. <laughs> and that is Spike Milligan. Yes, we agree. <laughs> Not only was it weird and eccentric, but it was offensive at multiple points Mm -hmm. and too insane to find funny. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. Like, I would be able to even get past the insane or the offensive stuff because they give a a disclaimer. I get it. Product of its time, whatever. But I couldn't understand half the things he was saying. It was like he was on coke and he was just yammering and he was sucking so fast. I couldn't find any of it funny. And so I get that he was like a legend, but like. It just didn't do anything for me. It was just, it was a mess, an absolute mess. Yeah. So yeah, Spike Milligan, absolute bottom of this season. <laughs> totally uh, agree. The next one I put in, Chris Christopherson and Rita Coolidge. We also agree. <laughs> if, if I could only put Chris Christopherson in there, I Cor- would. Correct. I don't blame Rita, Rita as much. She was all right. But collectively, the episode really failed. It was like he was dreading being there. He was so bored, so weirded out. He did not want to be there. It, it ruined the yeah, whole it's like, episode. Oh, this is what my life's become. What next? A vampire movie? And then that was <laughs> in 40 years. Okay. What I'll happened? <laughs> okay. So, so far we're two for two. Yeah. What's your third one? I'm curious. Third one. And this one is tough because it wasn't necessarily bad. I just felt really misused. Okay. And that was Liberace. Oh, okay. Such a big over the top guest you'd think, but he wasn't in a lot of the episode. Right. And what he was in was just him sitting at a piano with Muppets dancing around him. It was a missed opportunity episode. It was sure. a missed opportunity episode. And because of that, that really planted it at the bottom for me. Okay. That's totally fair. But we we have one different in this uh, Ooh, case. Which one's yours? I'm, Mine I'm is excited. James Coco. Okay. I could see it. I could see it. He was just backstage for most of the entire episode commenting on each act they were doing. And it's like, I don't care about this guy at all. He's not showing off any of his talent. This is boring. He, this is not, and the Muppets did fine. So I'm not blaming the Muppets for this episode. I'm blaming James Coco for this episode, Okay, but he was just, it was just not an exciting. It was just really weird. Like it's like he purposely didn't want to do an act on his own. Uh, it, it just failed for me on all counts. Yeah. I could, I can absolutely get on top of that. Get on top of that. Mm-hmm. So now let's recap. What was our, let's recap our worst for season one okay. and two, and then does anything join that that illustrious list? <laughs> so what's on your list of the worst of all time? So my worst, as of the end of last season, mm-hmm. I've got Florence Henderson, ah uh, yes, Bob Hope, and Rich Little. Florence Henderson could have been on any show. Bob Hope clearly didn't have time to do this show, <laughs> and Rich Little was just so bad. And you mix that with an equivalently bad episode and it just turns terrible. He was the impressionist, right? He was the yeah. impressionist who like nailed two of the 23 impressions he did. <laughs> and mine's, uh, I think it's Bob Bergen, right? Bergen, Ed- uh, Edgar Bergen, Edgar Bergen, right? 
and Bob Hope and Rich Little. So we cheer Bob mm-hmm. Hope and Rich Little, the two of us. But mine's yep. mine's Edgar Bergen and yours is you were you just to remind people, German was was just incensed, just just outraged by Edgar Bergen because German was into ventriloquism growing up and he was so ashamed. It's like meeting one of angry. your idols and he just fails you entirely. Uh, well, you felt that way. Yes, definitely. Um, so I I've got some replacements. OK, I can tell you right now. Uh, so joining the bottom, uh, I'm going to say Spike Milligan knocks out Florence Henderson. Okay. All Florence right. Henderson was boring and could have been anything, but Spike Milligan was just flat out offensive and incomprehensible. <laughs> and at best confusing, like at best he was confusing. Mm-hmm. But I think Bob Hope and Rich Little both maintain their spots. Okay. For me. Neither Spike Milligan was still that episode was so weird and just strange and dis- disturbing that it's it kept my interest enough to not put it in the worst list. Really? James Man. Coco was just boring. Uh, Chris Christopherson and Rita Coolidge could tell didn't want to be there, but they were talented at least. That's um, true. So I still it's I'm stuck at still uh, Edgar Bergen, Bob Hope and Rich Little has not changed. My worst wow. has not changed. So your worst. So nothing from season three made it to the bottom. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Wow. OK, that's impressive. Mm-hmm. That's impressive. He was germ. If you ever go chance to go back and listen, Jarman was outraged that episode. <laughs> outraged. Outraged. My ventriloquist side was outraged. All right. Now let's get away from the bad and let's talk about the good this season. Yeah. Let's lift it up a little bit. So, uh, well, let's go back. Let's see if we have any, any commonalities. Hmm. So this season best, I said Alice Cooper. Oh, that was not on my list, but I, I appreciate that entirely. A great themed episode. Great music. Alice got to really show his range and do some slower, nicer things. And then school's out. Um, a lot of cool, spooky effects that were outside of what the Muppets normally did. That's Just true. overall, a very stretching and good episode. I love that. Yeah. Uh, my first one is Raquel Welch. Okay. Because not only just gorgeous, I love Raquel Welch. I mean, my <laughs> you know pubescent self loved her as well. But uh, but she was. I learned how just much more talented and funny and great with the Muppets that she was. She was just a wonderful all around solid host. She was one of my best episodes of the season, I think. Nice. Uh, next up, best of the season, I've got Harry Belafonte. Oh, not one of my between either, but great. his gravitas, uh, the 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 song "Turn the World Around." which was really created in collaboration with Jim. And it was even one of Jim's favorites. His drum battle with, with animal is just oh, yeah. great. That was great. Him, him performing Deo. Mm, it was, maybe was for the first time on TV. Maybe. Yeah. So maybe once again, maybe. I think I covered that episode. <laughs> it might not have been the first time, but they say it is, um, which is great and made for an all around impressive episode. That's a great choice. My uh, second choice is Gilda Radner. I think okay. she was a quintessential Muppet guest star. She's a Muppet herself. I think she just did a tremendous job on that show. And she's like, she just belongs on the Muppet show. I think it was just a, it was uplifting for me. I missed her. I saw her face on there. I was like, oh my God, Gilda Radner. This is fantastic. So it was just a big, great episode for me. I have an honorable mention section that I was going to do after. And Gilda is in there. Nice. She's not one of my top three, but man, what a good episode. The other one in there is Danny Kay. That's my, my third mentions. too. <laughs> Oh, that's one of my honorable mentions. Oh, honorable cool. mentions. Okay, never mind. I give he away my stuff too early. He was almost there. <laughs> but it's good we agree. So what's your third? My third one 
And this is one where I feel like the host really matched the show. Mix that with a good backstage plot that covers the entire show and stretches on stage. And you got the Roger Miller episode okay. where the cast is gripped by cluckitis and chickens eventually take over the entire show. <laughs> um, between his wacky demeanor, his strange songs, everything really fit and worked with what the Muppets already did. Right. I would say he's on my honorable mention list as well, because that was just like, even though I didn't know him from Adam and he was just like a, you know, crazy weird dude. It just made the whole episode very interesting and funny um, all along. Uh, and my last would be Danny Kay, uh, because great I, episode. also I'm a little biased. I grew up with him. Uh, we watched, I watched the TCM or AMC movies with him in there all the time. He was hilarious as a kid and just seeing him on there. He did a great job with the Swedish chef and everything. That whole segment where he played his uncle and they're both not speaking Swedish, <laughs> but but uh, he's like a, basically a classic era Muppet himself. Uh, I thought he was the greatest in the cast. And my other honorable mention that almost made the list was the Lynn, Red Lynn Redgrave episode, because I love the whole Robin Hood theme that went throughout. That was great. And I also um, uh, Roy Rogers and oh, my God, what's her name? And Dale Evans and Dale Evans. I like I just like the episodes themselves, not necessarily the hosts. That's why I didn't make my best list, because I like these episodes that had themes that went throughout. Um like like even the, the the chicken thing and then also the the, the western thing and then the mm -hmm. Robin Hood thing. It's just I like these episodes that did that. So it was very cool that season three kind of went outside the comfort zone in those areas. But yeah, didn't, but those are my and, and I will say that uh, for the Danny K episode, the reason it almost made my top, it just didn't quite, was because uh, his performance of Inchworm oh, is probably yeah. my favorite backstage musical number. So cute. And I love backstage musical numbers. Oh, yeah. And it was, it such was an almost enough one. to take it over the top. <laughs> so we, almost. We had three totally different best ones. That's great, though. I like that. With with a few similar honorable mentions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now let's talk about do any of these unthrown our existing top three? Mm -hmm. Well, you first, my friend. I've got I've got some swap, some swap outs. I'm going to say. OK. All right. For me. The Harry Belafonte episode with its deep meaning to him and Jim, the creativity, the playfulness with the Muppets. Uh, he is going to take the long held spot of Peter Ustinov from season one. Peter Ustinov was a Muppet, but this episode clearly connected with Harry Belafonte in a way that makes it special. I can see different. that. Yeah. What about you? Uh, that's your only change. Oh, no, I've got more changes. I wasn't sure if we were going back. Well, forth say what your original three were first. OK, I did. I thought, didn't I? I don't think so. I'm crazy. No. Pete Ustinov. OK. Zero Mostel. OK. And Elton John. Yeah, you did not say that yet. OK, so that's damn. Your, OK, that's your Pete original Ustinov, three. Zero Mostel, Elton John. Gotcha. We're my original three. So Ustinov's gone, knocking him out with Harry uh, Belafonte. Uh, Alice Cooper is taking Elton John's spot. Uh -huh. Elton John took the spot from Paul Williams because of just the overall musicality of the episode. And I feel like between the theming and the amount of musicality Alice brought, it just, it, it dethrones Elton John. Very fair. I like that. Uh, but I will say zero Mostel holds <laughs> his spot. All right. Top three. I like, we're getting some differences here because my That's original right. best were, uh, Oh my God. Did I not write them down? You have zero Mostel. Thank you. I can I can tell you. Yeah, there you go. Say what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Ustinov and Bruce Forsyth. That's right. So the only change I'm making is, which is very different from Steve's, 
I am getting rid of Zero Mostel Whoa. and putting Gilda Radner right there. That is, I would say that's, that is a very fair trade. <laughs> Zero Mostel was fantastic, but I just felt like Gilda Radner embodies the soul of the Muppets and what they meant to be and that kind of entertainment. And she just did a fantastic job. Oh yeah. I mean the super glue bit where she comes out and does the musical yes. number with more and more stuff sticking to her. <laughs> I wrote that one down too. It's like my, my favorite thing she did. It's just spectacular. <laughs> it's just spectacular. Yes. And I still think Peter Ustinov was a big surprise maybe he'll just stick there so long because he was like the first guy i saw that was just an amazing host with the show um and bruce forsyth was hilarious so i just yeah they're still there but uh it's gilda radner peter usinoff and bruce forsyth on the list now all right so our new top three harry my new top three harry belafonte alice cooper and zero mostel jarman's uh top three what was yours again gilda radner peter usinoff and bruce forsyth and the ones for you to avoid spike milligan (laughs) <laughs> which is just terrible. Uh, Bob Hope and Rich Little hold their spots for me. And me, it's Edgar Bergen, Bob Hope, and Rich Little, those bastards. They, those assholes <laughs> all keep their bottom spots. Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to rest in their laurels of nothing, and they failed miserably. But well, now I'm we get into Star Trek, I believe. We're not that far from the end of Star Trek. That's I'm excited true. to recap that, too. I uh, Muppet Show will, will keep going on, but Star Trek, the original series, will be over and we'll tell you guys what will be next soon. Ooh. But right now we're going out to the episode, That Which Survives. So we have the Enterprise somehow discovering a planet whose young age doesn't match up to its atmosphere and biology. So Kirk, Bones, and Sulu and a random geologist beam down to investigate. But as they are beaming down, a random woman appears in the transporter room and then touches the transporter chief and kills him instantly. The landing party arrives at the mystery planet, but are immediately shook by tremors. And at the same time, the Enterprise is knocked 990 light years away, but safely. Spock orders that the ship go back to the planet as fast as they can. And Dr. Mbenga says that the transporter chief died of cellular disruption, which is very weird. Meanwhile, the landing party splits up to explore the planet to find food and water because they can see the Enterprise is gone and they don't know how long they're going to be there. Uh, And the the geologist guy encounters the same woman who is in the transporter room, and she says, I am for you, and then touches him, and he also dies. And then Kirk, Sulu, and Bones find his dead body and try to make a grave for him using a phaser, and that helps them discover that the planet is actually truly artificial, which is strange. So the same woman then appears again, now saying she is for Sulu, and tries to touch him, but only brushes his shoulder before Kirk and Bones intervene. But her touches do nothing to them, however. But it makes, you know, Sulu very injured. Apparently, she can only be lethal to the person she is particularly after for some reason. But back in the Enterprise, the woman appears there again, kills one of the engineers, and then the ship begins to accelerate uncontrollably. And this will eventually lead to the Enterprise's destruction in 15 minutes unless they can do something about it. So Scotty goes deep into the ship to perform a dangerous operation on the ship on the ship's engine to stop it and does show does so just in time, just barely before the time runs out. But back in the planet, the woman appears again, tries to attack Kirk, but Sulu and bones protect him. They question her and she reveals that she is Losira, the station commander, and she is programmed to protect the planet at all costs from intruders. Sulu, Kirk and bones finally find the control center for the planet. And the, and then three copies of Losira appear each one of them for one of them to kill them each in, in, good, in good time. And just then Spock appears with a security officer and they blow up the mainframe of the computer protecting the planet. 
A video then plays of the human version of Osira from a long time ago, and she explains that her people traveled here long ago, but a disease killed all the station's personnel, and that this computer system has been protecting the planet from intruders ever since. Bones figures out that the same disease must have wiped out all of her people that ever arrived at this planet over the years. And uh, they get back to the Enterprise, and all is fine. And that's the end of the episode. <laughs> so, Steve, what did you think of this episode? Please tell me. Oh, man. So... Some things I like, I like the like Spock Scotty duo that we got to see. Bones was kind of there, but once again, I feel like in general, DeForest Kelly has kind of gotten the shaft this season. You are so right. Yes, he has. Like he shows up for like two minutes and then just disappears. They didn't even, <laughs> they talked to a different, uh, I just like that they gave them the opportunity to like give another doctor something to do. Right. Um, I, I couldn't tell if the be- if the opening was smart or lazy. Hmm. They kind of started in the beginning, in the middle, with like opening exposition. But but he's like they recounted all the facts they discovered up to that point. But they right. did it for the camera. So I was like, this is even either brilliant writing or really lazy writing, <laughs> and I can't figure out which one it is. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, things I maybe struggled with a little bit. We. We haven't seen Spock played this, I'll say, unwielding, unwieldingly logical since like season one, where he's so logical, it almost comes off as stupid. Yeah, or naive. And yeah, exactly. I I almost compared it to like Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy, where he doesn't understand metaphors. Nothing goes over my head. (laughs) I'm too fast. I would catch it. Uh, It felt like that. And it wasn't it wasn't the Spock that's like grown and expanded and become a little bit more human. You could definitely tell this was a very Spock. different writer suddenly writing this episode for sure. Uh, I like that there, there was an entire scene where Kirk shot a gun at the ground to do science investigation. <laughs> that was, uh, that was good and bad. I got a good laugh out of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, you get the super powerful being that can kill anybody with a touch but they can like confuse it with base, basic math and like body blocking somehow. <laughs> that was so, don't let it. And then there eventually there were three and they're like, Oh, we can't block all of them. <laughs> now we can't walk in circles anymore. We can't. Oh, and they, they like shuffle mildly back and forth to confuse them. It was so goofy. <laughs> um, and then I just thought it was, it, it's so, so cliche and it wasn't a red shirt this time. Mm-hmm. It was a blue shirt. The other doctor that went down to the planet with them. But as soon as they're like, uh, you know, uh, Sulu bones, you're with me. Random doctor. And I went, Oh, he go that die. way <laughs> away. Oh, from he's us. not even wearing a red shirt. He going to die. <laughs> uh, and then one thing I really dug, uh, was the practical effect when they get down to the planet and there's the earthquake, they were on some sort of moving stage. Hmm. Uh, on on the Enterprise, they were clearly shaking the camera like normal, but the set that Shatner and them were on was actually moving, and that was really impressive. To me. <laughs> that's that's nice, yeah. Uh, wh- what's your take? I thought this was kind of middle for me. The one reason I liked it is because it was very sciencey, very Star Trekky. Um, they were really trying to solve a mystery with science and a geologist and studying their environment. Um, that felt very different from a lot of episodes we've seen, where it's just been strange space creature magic and we couldn't do any kind of science. This felt more science based and these a lot of science tech terminology. And I liked a lot of these Spock trying to figure out what was going on from his end. And so there's a lot of good, good writing in that regard. 
not necessarily writing as far as the conceit of the story, but writing as far as science-y, Star Trek-y kind of stuff, which I liked. Uh, but it was a bit slow. Um, an interesting story, but at the same time, they've done this before, uh, a civilization leaving behind a computer to tell future people coming to the planet what's going on. That's happened before on Star Trek, I feel like, already. Um, but yeah, just kind of a middling episode, but not terrible. Like, I, I like some of the moments. And even though Spock was, you know, way too backward to where he was before yeah, season way too one. spocky yeah it still was really funny there's a lot of great moments in the writing for that which i enjoyed but you're right it was like strangely he was regressing back to an, a previous form of spock right he was season one spock all of a sudden exactly we're like he was like the blood butt of every joke from being so logical that he comes off as dumb like he didn't understand things at all it's like you've been around right. for years now you understand what's going on so you yeah, get totally the joke you asshole it's like a very <laughs> middling yeah, not going to make our top of season three, I think. <laughs> yeah, fair. But for trivia for this week, uh, we have uh, Lieutenant Radha, which is a very briefly seen character taking the helm where Chekhov would normally sit, is both the first explicitly Hindu character and the first Enterprise Helms woman to appear in Star Trek. And she had a bigger role than even a lot of the one shotty kind of characters. She had way more lines than a lot. That's true. That's true. This is the second and final appearance of Dr. Mbenga, uh, the African-American doctor who's there. I'm chewing a piece of ice. Excuse me. That guy, he's actually appearing, which I've not seen yet, to my much chagrin, uh, The Strange New Worlds, which is the story of Pike with Spock and the original crew of the Enterprise. Apparently, Dr. Mbenga was the head doctor before Bones appeared on the, on the Enterprise. So that's the, at least the canon they're going with now. So this character who's only in two episodes of the original series is now a main character on strange new worlds. The series now on paramount plus Oh, good for that guy. Yeah. So he's going to be a, a big character there. Um, this is another occasion where uh, network decency standards had a big effect on the costumes worn by women on the show. Cause the beauty, the beautiful Larissa or Losira, excuse me, costume had yeah. a strategic flap that was covering her navel of all things. Oh, it did. You're right. It was like a weird cutout kind of thing. So they've had the most revealing costumes in the world on this show. I could not believe the things they got away with in the 60s on this show, but yet they can't show her navel. <laughs> so you can see boobs. You can see side boob. You can see legs up almost to her crotch, but you cannot see her navel due to uh, decency standards in the 1960s. So <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, this was cool because I didn't realize I recognized her, but didn't couldn't tell from where. Uh, Losira in this episode is played by Lee Merriweather who, if you guys are listeners to the A Play on Nerds podcast, we reviewed recently the Batman movie from 1966, I believe. And uh -huh. she was she played Catwoman in that movie. Oh, I didn't put that together. So she was not and the, the Riddler was in the last episode. Exactly. And it's crazy. The Catwoman from the TV show was not Lee Merriweather, but she she wasn't available for this movie filming. So Lee Merriweather came in to play Catwoman just for that movie. And we reviewed that movie. And that's this actress, Lucira, in this episode, which is well, pretty that's awesome. Cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. All right, so Steve, what are the Trek Connection Muppet Connections this week? Well, Cheryl Ladd, mostly known for Charlie's Angels, well, one episode she was in featured a young and hunky Jonathan Frakes, oh. who would later go on to play William Riker on Star Trek The Next Generation. Heck yeah. And the 1987 Golden Globes were co-hosted by none other than Cheryl Ladd and William Shatner. Oh my goodness. A direct connect. That is a direct connect. But they were basically the same episode, right? Oh, I mean, come on. Totally. <laughs> I found no less than one similarity. Oh, my God. I found two similarities in these episodes. Oh, my God. You so, go first. 
Losira, she can disappear at will, uh, just like Link Hogthrob and Doctor Strange Pork in the Pigs in Space segment. They can also oh, disappear by taking a, a. Is that your one? <laughs> yeah. Both feature invisible forces on a starship, the disappearing and reappearing woman on the Enterprise and Link and Julius when messing with Piggy. That's hilarious. <laughs> so my other one is uh, Cheryl Ladd and Piggy show how women can kick some ass in the I enjoy being a girl segment, That's just true. as Locira shows that she can kick ass by just touching someone. Mm-hmm. Ooh, nice. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, see the what same, did there. same thing. Oh, God, what's that noise? Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. All right, this is part of the show where we transport one character from one episode to the other and vice versa. So what do you got for us this week, Steve? Well, Muppets Trek this week, I've got bringing over Dr. Julius Strangepork to take the place of Spock. He would be just as over the top as Spock was this week. (laughs) That's true. Uh, For Muppets of Star Trek, I have Cheryl Ladd to replace Locira. She's got some great moves and training with Charlie's Angels, so she'd be much more of a threat than the original Locera. That's true. Plus, she knows how to karate chop. Exactly. That's important. I tried to Muppets this week. I've got bringing over Sulu to take the role of Link swinging vine to vine because I feel like Sulu deserved better this week. Yeah, he could have had more. I agree. And when I think of him at his, his best, it's him shirtless with like a rapier. <laughs> pretending to be a space pirate from whatever episode that was. Yes, the naked naked time or the naked now. The naked time. Uh, Star Trek to Muppets, I have Locira to transfer over to become Gonzo so she could just swirl up and disappear when the weight falls on top of her <laughs> during that one segment for Gonzo the Great. Yeah, she just snaps and like a little black door opens up and she zips through and it. She zips through it and the weight just falls down and she's totally safe. Yep, that happens. I get down with that. So that brings us to the end of episode 73 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for the Muppet Show with special guest John Denver. And original series episode, The Lights of Zatar. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. <laughs>